0: How do you spell book? I'll teach you right now. Be as in, um, a uh, uh, book. A book about an OBGYN anytime soon. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Normal Books. My name is Callan. How are you guys doing today? I am doing wonderful. With me today is a very special guest, uh, author and writing coach, Jen Braxma. Hi. Hi. How are you today?
1: Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh,
0: no problem. I was very, I was very surprised when your publisher got a hold of me and I'm just like, oh, okay, this is, it's something that doesn't happen all that often because it's still, even though um, the podcast has only been around for two years now, it's still very new so, getting a whole like a publisher getting a hold of me, that was something that's never happened before. so i was I was thrilled for that. So I'm so glad that you had agreed to come on,
1: oh, absolutely. I love connecting with readers, and honestly, you know, everywhere where we can find them. And it's really, yeah, it's it's really about just just reaching out. And so, I'm really happy that you were happy to host me.
0: No problem. So, you have your first book coming out in was 3 days yeah three yeah days. On, on tuesday the 30th so how is that feeling that you're cuz this is your first published work yes absolutely how is that feeling that you're just like okay in a couple of days my first book's going to come out <laughs> how like like what are your emotions with that right now
1: uh you know it's a little bit surreal i feel like there's it's been such a long journey and we're so close to the finish line where that book is finally out there in the world where I'll be able to walk into a bookstore and see it on the bookstore shelves but it feels a bit a little bit of that anticipation like when you're about to go on vacation you're excited about it you know it's coming but you still have the regular drudgery of everyday life I'm still you know cooking dinner and doing my laundry and so it's uh it's it's the anticipation which is exciting uh just just kind of want to get there you know see it out there in the world
0: so with this so it's roughly just shy of 300 pages and I when I read it I I know and I could feel like if if I was a teenager reading this I'm just like even even I'm not a teenager and I read it I'm just like Mm -hmm. I completely feel what Evie's going through and and I understand and I can relate to a lot of what what's going on in the book and I think that for me is like one of like the best things to read in a book when you can actually relate to the characters in any sort of way but from start to finish when writing this how long did it take you?
1: Okay, so that is an excellent question. Let me answer it in two different ways. From the very start of the idea to when I actually got around to writing the draft that becomes the book, I would say a decade, a decade and a half, something like that. From the time that I got serious with this version of this story, uh, I would say about eight months.
0: Okay, okay. So what, how did this storyline come to you originally like because I know you said it started about a decade decade and a (laughs) half ago like how did you originally come up with the idea for this
1: I would love it if there had been some brilliant, uh, you know, lightning bolt of an idea, and there was one specific event that like, oh my goodness, now this idea is in my head. It was much more gradual than that, but it came out of this concept of binary, of good versus evil, and all of the books that I read, and the movies, and the TV shows, like I love that concept, absolutely. Good guy, bad guy, hero, villain, Um, and and absolutely there's a lot of gray within those characters as well, but I thinking you know who's our big bad and in a western christian culture um you know in that mythology we often think of the devil and satan he's he's the big bad and and that's all there is to him and i i started to to think about well what if there was more to him but i didn't have much interest in writing lucifer's story i wanted to find out could someone love him? He was meant to be this charismatic character, this angel who defied God and was hence cast into hell. So I wondered, why was he so charismatic? What was it about him that would draw other angels into his side? If you look at the angel lore, up to a third of angels in heaven were cast out with him. So yeah, I don't know how many angels at the time, uh, assuming we go on that lore, but there is something about him and so that just got me thinking okay well who would stand up to him well in the lore it's the archangel michael and of course that makes sense but we're back to good guy bad guy Mm -hmm. and i wanted to explore that a little bit more and then um Evangeline started out as this old woman who had no relation to Lucifer whatsoever. And eventually I thought, you know, I I work with teenagers as a high school English teacher. Uh, I love reading YA. Some of the other books that I've written before this were based on YA as well. And so I thought, you know what? what, what if we look at that relationship between a father and a daughter? What would that look like if Lucifer actually was a loving dad? And only Evangeline could see that, and so that's where the idea. It, it was really more of an evolution than any kind of spark.
0: Okay, and and so I don't, I can't remember if I actually said the na- the title of your book yet, but it's Evangeline's uh, Heaven. And when when reading it, when you had the um, first heaven and that I'm just, and I was kind of wondering if. Because I've never heard anything said like first heaven or that, but I'm just like, well, I have heard of the seven circles of of hell. I'm just like, I wonder if it would be the same up in heaven as well, where you had the levels there and the levels there as well.
1: So. So the idea, yes and no. Um, so when I started looking into lore, what about, what is it about angels? Uh, obviously I wasn't looking for anything quote factual. Like I wasn't doing a deep dive into religion necessarily. I just wanted details that might make a good story. And uh, some of the research, and, and it didn't matter to me whether it was from quote reputable or credible sources or just somebody's ideas out there on the internet. I, I, just, I just was picking and choosing from things that I liked. And I came across this idea of of seven heavens I mean we you know the expression like oh I'm in seventh heaven Mm -hmm. and and I kind of wondered huh what if there are seven heavens now of course you know familiar with the concept of the you know the different circles of hell Mm -hmm. which uh hint may appear in a sequel to Evangeline so yeah absolutely so so there's definitely a parallel to that idea Mm -hmm. I just took it from from the idea of like oh I'm in seventh heaven huh what would those what would what would seventh heaven look like and if there's a seventh heaven maybe there's a sixth fifth fourth and so on and so forth
0: okay so um i want to talk to you about like starting out when because you said you first started out as a journalist yes and then how did starting at how did you go from being a journalist going into a uh, high school english teacher how did that transition happen? So
1: you know what, that transition all happened because of my love of writing actually. So way back when I'm a kid, I'm eight years old and I'm writing these short, this, these short stories. And, and I wrote a short story that I just absolutely loved. I thought, oh my God, this is so much fun. It was, it was around Christmas time. It was about Santa and his reindeer. And, you know, I'm sure it's terrible now if I were to actually try to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, But I I was just so thrilled with it, and I got it published. And by that, I mean my mom typed it up for me. And way back when, uh, you know, this was this was a big deal. And, and by the way, I should let you know, you're talking to an award-winning author because my dad put a little sticker on it, a little Woody Woodpecker sticker that said, excellent. So I determined back when I was eight that I was already an award-winning author. <laughs> and I just, I loved writing stories. They were fun. And I wrote so many that went nowhere, of course. I have so many unfinished stories. It's what I did. All all through high school. And I wondered, hmm, maybe I could make something of this as my of my career. And my parents, perhaps more practical than I was at the time, suggested, hmm, well, you enjoy writing. Uh, maybe you wanna consider a different field where, you know, perhaps there's a little bit more job security than a novelist. Uh, so I, I chose journalism and well, it's certainly not the same kind of writing as, as fiction. Uh, it was it was a great fit for me at the time, but it was very deadline driven, of course. And it wasn't the type of, of uh, working environment Environment that I wanted. I loved talking to people, and I loved writing, um, and I would have done like, you know, I, my favorite in journalism were more magazine features, longer articles. Um, and, and so I thought, okay, maybe this journalism career, it isn't the perfect fit for me. What I really wanna do is have time to write. So, and I also, I'd always enjoyed teaching. I was a, a swimming instructor, and I was a TA in grad school. And I thought, hey, teaching is something that I've always loved to do. Mm -hmm. And I had the most ridiculously stupid, and what I thought at the time, of course, is brilliant idea. I'll, I'll go into teacher's college, I'll become a teacher. Books, English, obviously, that's the way to go. Teachers have their summers off, no problem all right during the summers all right in the evenings, all right in the weekends oh my goodness I was so naive because the amount of work if any of your listeners are teachers the the amount of workload to prep your classes to do marking grading it's and everything that goes along with it um, I, I was overwhelmed with with it as a new teacher and at the same time my husband and I also started our families so at the time we had two young children and it was just crazy for me to think that I could teach full-time, raise two young children plus my family responsibilities and write so it took a while before I got around to and I love my teaching career it was great Um, but I had to put writing on the back burner Uh, so it was it was only later as the kids got older and I had a little bit more time that I thought okay maybe maybe I'll dive back into this writing thing a little bit more seriously so the evolution of my career was always that thread of of being a novelist I will say so my
0: one of my aunts is a third grade teacher and she's been it for the last I want to say almost 30 years now and I'm just like I see how much work that she has to put in but when you're talking about how you had a had your first book published at eight I did as well we did a, um, I, I actually have it here hold on We did it as a school project where oh. everyone in the fourth grade classes got to. So we got to write it and illustrate it and it was published.
1: Oh, that's so fun. But it's so, important, right? You still have yeah, it.
0: I still have I have two copies of it <laughs> in case I ever lose one. But it was to read it now. I'm just like, wow, I, I really went there. <laughs>
1: But I think that that's so important because when when you're a kid or when you're supporting children or, you know, people, not even children, anyone who is starting out with writing, uh, there's, of course, there's so much to learn, um, but it can be so personal and it's just, there's there's so much about feeling yourself on the page mm-hmm. and and I think when kids have those kinds of writing assignments and are given those opportunities, they can really pour so much of themselves out there. I think it's wonderful that that your teacher was able to put that together and you still have that all these years later. yeah, oh man,
0: so many years later. Um, <laughs> so you went from being a high school English teacher now to a author and writing
1: coach. now, what does a writing coach entail? Excellent question. Yeah. So I didn't actually know that either. When I first started out on this writing journey, I was a DIY kind of person. So I will get to your, your, your answer about that, but it was the process of learning that I became aware of what it was too. So I tried to figure out how to write on my own. I took courses, workshops, seminars, all sorts of things. Um, and and I thought maybe I was doing it right. Okay, but I was totally open to feedback and suggestions. I kinda always wanted a teacher or a mentor. Um, and and so so I I wasn't really sure what I was doing. And then I came across in some of my internet searches uh, this, this thing called a book coach and uh, Jenny Nash is my coach. She's the founder of Author Accelerator. And when I reached out to her and she had a look at my pages of the, of the novel I was working on, not Evangeline's Heaven. It was another one. And she said, wow, I can see that you, you know where you're going with this story, but it really sucks. And to be honest, Jenny did not say those words. I paraphrased. She was so much more supportive and so much more real. But the message was basically the same. Like, I get it. You you have some something here, but you need to do some work on it. And I was like, totally okay. I thought I would have been crushed and devastated. But she had a way to help me see, no, this is how you can improve it. And so I worked with her. On, on two different stories, on two different novels, one of which is, of course, Evangeline's Heaven. And after that, she, um, she was launching book training courses and I thought, hmm, book coach, teacher, this might be a really good fit. So what I learned, Um, By working with Jenny as my book coach and also building up my own book coaching business, there are three facets to what a book coach can do, which is different than an editor. One of them is the technical expertise. It is a bit like a developmental editor where I can help my clients with the story itself, with the qualities of writing, how to write a strong character, how to write dialogue, all those elements of writing. That's what I can help them put together. But a book coach helps you in a w- different way than an editor, because I help my writers as they go. So, like I did with when I was working with Jenny, I have my clients submit to me a certain number of pages every couple of weeks, and I edit them and give them feedback and comments as they go so that I can help to make sure that they don't go down the garden path <laughs> before they get to the end. And believe me, I know because I that's what happened to me before I met Jenny. One of my failed attempts, you know, the novel in the drawer that will never see the light of day. <laughs> I got 300 pages into this novel. I'm writing the climax. I'm thinking I am so close to being done this thing. And I stopped because I realized that the climax wasn't gonna work because the beginning didn't work. My, My inciting incident was so ridiculously stupid, I couldn't even salvage the rest of the story. And I had to put it away and and by working with Jenny as my book coach and what I can do for my clients is make sure that doesn't happen, because had I been with Jenny for that story, she would have caught it right away and I wouldn't have wasted all of my time. So so number one, absolutely, the technical uh, expertise, accountability is number two. As I said, I worked as a journalist. So as much as I might not have appreciated quick deadlines, I really did need deadlines. And even in the classroom, you need deadlines. You know, I had to have my lessons plans ready because the students were coming in. So when it came to my own writing, it was so easy to just like, oh, I'll get to it later, especially with, you know, kids in the house and, you know, regular domestic life too. It was easy to push my writing off. When I was working with a book coach, I had a deadline and I can give that accountability to my own writers now too, saying, you know what? hey, just looking for your pages. So that really helped me. The third one I think is the biggest, and that's the emotional support. When I was trying to write this, this, do this writing thing on my own, um, as supportive as my family was, they're, they're not writers. They're not in this business. I'm like, sure, I guess it's good. They'd say like, okay, maybe it is or it isn't. But uh, Jenny as my coach and me now as the coach, um, we've been there. We know what it's like. We know writing is really hard. So when I felt frustrated and I was about to give up, I'd, I'd send Jenny an email or we'd have a call and, and she would, she would validate those emotions and say, yeah, of course it's hard. And here's what, what you can do to get through it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope I can bring to my, my own clients, my own writers too, is I know it's hard. I've been there, but yeah, you can do it. So, so those three facets, the, the actual technical expertise as a, as an editor, the accountability and the emotional support. Okay.
0: Um, So with the novel that's in the drawer, would you ever... It anywhere in the future tried to rewrite it at all, or just like, no, it's done. It's a dead story.
1: Yeah. So that one is totally a dead story. So, yeah. and that was the second one that I tried. So the very first novel that I wrote, it's a, it's also a young adult. It's a murder mystery. It's a retelling of Macbeth, which I, I thought was, was pretty fun. And actually um, this was again, before book coach, I, I did pretty well on it because I actually landed a literary agent and I was really Impressed, like wow, first book. But of course, still learning this industry, this business. Um, I guess I just assumed that you go from agent, you get a publishing deal, your book gets out there in the world. I wasn't expecting to be, you know, the next J.K. Rowling or anything like that. But hey, you know. And then my agent couldn't place the book with a with a publisher, and I was I was like, what? That can happen? Like, no, no. And it didn't go anywhere. And I was devastated. And I thought, okay, well, I did it once. I guess I can do it again. So so that first novel, I've gone back to it and I've had a look at it like, okay, maybe now I can see why some of the publishers didn't look at it the same way that that I did. So that one, I can absolutely see myself going back to fixing it up, especially with how much I've learned over the past few years. Um, but that, that one that's dead in the drawer. No, no, it, it deserves to stay there. Rest in peace. Um, uh,
0: any, with all the books that you plan on writing, are they all going to be YA or are you going to go uh, in any other different directions with them or just stay in the YA?
1: So I actually have just finished another manuscript that's an adult literary fantasy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, completely different. And that was a good challenge too. Um, So the first books I read were were all, or sorry, the first books that I wrote were all YA, the four, the one that didn't go anywhere, plus um, two others and Evangeline's Heaven. So this fifth one, I I wanted to challenge myself with a, a bit of a more of a different audience, but still in the fantasy realm. And this one is called the Fairy Tale Fringe Festival. And it's about Fauna, a human storyteller who goes onto this magical island where this fringe festival is and meets up with Calliope, the Greek goddess Muse. And she is banished to this island. The two of them are there trying to reclaim their stories from William and Jacob, who had stolen their fairy tales. So I have now completed that manuscript. I'm now deciding what the best publishing option for me might be for that. But after that, I am going to go back to YA. I have started and I'm diving into the sequel for Evangeline's Heaven. And all the other book ideas I have, they're a mixture of both adult and and young adult. And while most of my ideas remain in the fantasy realm, I do have a couple of ideas for some contemporary women's fiction and romance. I'm just, wherever my interests lead me, that's what I'm going to try.
0: When, when you write, I know some people that don't plot out anything, but do you like kind of plot out how the story is going to go or you just write what comes to your mind?
1: So such an excellent question because I had been very much that pantser, right? That 300 page book that, that went nowhere. Um, But one of the reasons why I thought I could write like that was because I abhorred outlines. Like I'm not doing an outline. Are you kidding? That takes all the fun away from writing, like all of the joy, all of the, you know, the intuition and inspiration. It's just, it just goes out the window when you have to plot it all out beforehand. Yeah. Okay. So what I learned again, working with Jenny is that there's a reason for that. The reason why I hated outlines was because they were hard because they nailed you to your story, which is exactly what I needed. So I stayed away from them, not because it was boring and it was just, you know, not worth it. No, I stayed away from outlines because they were hard and I actually needed it. I was just avoiding it. So, but Jenny introduced me to, and I now use adaptations of this for my clients, what's called an inside outline. And it's really, I thought it was all or nothing. You have to plot every single detail before you start writing or you simply start writing. What she taught me was an in-between where in only a few pages two to three pages you take the skeleton of your story just the major tentpole scenes the scenes that are going to hold up your story and you write them out in one or two sentences that's it so from beginning of the story to the end but what was the game changer for me were the it's called the inside outline because there are two parts to every story we know this as readers what's happening in the story the plot the sequence of events but every story has that character arc, that, that character evolution. That's truly what the story is about. It's not about what is happening in the story. It's about why that matters to the protagonist. And Lisa Cron is another story coach uh, and her book's uh, story genius were were genius in helping me recognize this and realize this, this other arc to it. So the outline process that I use now shows us one sentence or two about what's happening in that scene and right underneath one sentence or two about why that matters to the character. So by the end of those two to three pages, we have the whole story arc, the plot, And we see the whole evolution of the character and having those two layers together on an outline really helped me get, get the focus I needed. So I didn't go down that garden path. Um, And, and that was able, it's, it's a working document. So I was able to change it. It's not stuck in stone. What I started with doesn't have to be what I ended with and it, and it wasn't, but it was, it was the roadmap that I needed. So that's what I use now. And that's what I suggest to all of my clients as well.
0: So we're gonna go back to Evangeline Tuven real quick. so with with talking about character evolution, I mean, you do see that with Evangeline through the entire thing because she starts out kind of, um, I just had the word in my head, uh, naive and kind of just like. Uh, had
1: it <laughs> well i would i would argue that maybe she wasn't quite as so much as naive because based on her experiences her father loves her at the beginning of the story that's all she sees her father tells her that the war that they're fighting is for the good of their class of angels the commoners who had been discriminated against so from her perception um that's that's all she knows and just just like when we are young people we're we're teens we we're introduced to the world through our parents and our family's eyes. And it's only as we get older and we start to branch out in the world that we start to see maybe there's more going on and you know maybe maybe our family's perspectives aren't exactly the way they should be or maybe i want something different as that person who's now i'm i'm becoming more independent so yeah absolutely the journey is evangeline and how she sees the world at the beginning very much through her father's lens mm-hmm. and as she travels through these seven heavens on her quest she starts to see things that have her doubt her father's message and and then there's that inner conflict she wants to buy into and believe and and hold on to everything that she knew about her father but she's starting to recognize yeah maybe he's a bad man and how she reconciles that and how she determines who she's going to be herself or her father's daughter is the journey that we follow her through and that big turn
0: that she has with it is, her uncle's death that is like the big turning point in like the entire in in the book of where like kind of like her thoughts and like am I am I thinking this the right way is is my father really who I believe he is or what everyone else is saying that he is and I I like I for me that was like a very crucial point in it
1: so her uncle her it's it's actually a great uncle her mother's uncle her mother died when she was young she doesn't have very many memories of her own mother um and it was just her and her father so just the two of them for so long when she finally meets part of her mother's side of the family her uncle Raziel um and he takes to her in a grandfatherly kind of way he's becomes so important to her a balance to her father's idealism in a different way he's a quiet scholar um And, you know, teaches her and and takes her under, under his wing in a different way. So when, when he dies, uh, she's devastated. She's never had to experience that kind of pain before. Um, And when she learns the circumstances of his death, he's someone, he's someone important enough to her. That he can he can get through to her about her father something that no one else did because she trusted him, so he's one of the only people who could be that precipice to push her toward looking at her father in a different way yeah and and with
0: uh, hold on, I had it, and then it just left um story of my life as a writer oh my goodness it just it for me like during a week i can read up to like four or five different books in a week and i'm just like okay make sure i get <laughs> correct of what i need to get correct and then like thought from one book will come in and then it will be completely erased by something else and i'm just <laughs> like i don't even know which book was for what now <laughs> but I when I was reading this I was kind of when her and Michael just started to spend go on this quest together I'm just like is is her way of thinking going to be more towards what he perceives as the truth instead of what she perceives as the truth but you kind of get to see this blend between them especially at the end when lucifer does really show his true colors in a way
1: yeah absolutely so um I'm, I'm a sucker for romance, so I definitely wanted to, to have some sparks in this story as well. And uh, so the lore goes that Michael is the archangel who defeats Lucifer. In the, in the stories, that's the way it is, and they're, they're seen as equals. But I really liked this idea of Michael actually being younger. So So I made him the son of Gabriel, who is the archangel general. And Gabriel and Lucifer had been good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, A lot of tension between them still, but Gabriel was the one on the inside, if you will, who really supported Lucifer. And then, of course, uh, in, you know, this is all backstory, there was a falling out. So Michael and Evangeline are enemies, right? Their fathers have become enemies, and so therefore they are enemies. But, um, but There was, there was still a connection between them through their time at school together. So it's true that each has the views of their father and their fathers are on opposite sides in this war. Um, But by using Michael as a bit of a parallel to so Evangeline has to learn about her father, but this is also an opportunity for Michael to see that, you know, maybe the bad guy, there's, there's still reason why Evangeline thinks what she does about her father. As much as it's true when Lucifer does show his true colors, I didn't want Michael to be standing there saying, hey, hey I told you so. Uh, so, you know, there had to be um, some, some evolution on Michael's part as well. And we see the story through Evangeline's eyes. We, I, I don't write in Michael's perspective, but nonetheless, we need to see that, that he can be supportive of what Evangeline is going through, not just, hey, here's what's happened and didn't we know that all along.
0: No, I was very surprised by the. I guess we can call it the um third class of. They're not exactly angels, and I, I guess you would see them more as demons. The do you call them the jinn or the? the- djinn. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, when I read that, I'm just like, when, when I hear folklore of it, I'm just like genies. <laughs> yeah. Like-
1: Yeah, that was the, so the origin, the concept of, of genie, the way that we know it in our Western culture today comes from the lore and the stories and the mythology of the Mm jinn, And, and so that's where I kind of took my inspiration. Uh, so jinn are meant to be creatures made of smokeless fire. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk that yes, they, they are demon-ish, um, so so I just kind of played around with those tropes a little bit and had them um, their their world is the under realm, which we might think of as hell and that's where they are. And so so the types of creatures that they were definitely at odds with angels. There'd been a jinn war again in backstory that Lucifer had been a part of before Evangeline was born. So there's already tension between these two uh, these two creatures, the jinn and the angels and i thought that uh, given the lore again i don't want it to be so black and white that is all demons are bad and all angels are good that binary that i wanted to explore a little bit more but uh, yeah there's there's definitely a darkness to the to the jin and my stories mm-hmm. that um you know that they they have their their own motivations as well that i hope can play into evangeline's journey
0: Well, so I had read a book a couple years ago where it was the angels were evil and the demons were good. I'm just like, well, this is a tape, but no, I I get that with, and I was that twist in the end of where you get to, where you find out that, you know, she's not. 100% who she thought she was where she finds out I I don't want to give it away so I'm just like hey let's let's think of a way that we both can understand it um where like she figures out her whole heritage I'm just like I did not see that coming whatsoever
1: Okay, good. That's great. Um, I'd like to think that, you know, I've some hints about that in throughout the story. Um, but it's also, it's also great, like to just to just enjoy it. I have this conversation with one of my teen daughters, she's very astute, and she can pick up a lot of, of hints about these things very intuitive about where a story is going to go. Um, and I'm not that kind of reader. Not that I not that I can't necessarily pick up those clues, but I don't like to. I'd like to give, I, I'd like to take the story the way that the writer intends to give it, or at least one one way that they could intend to give it. I just let the story absorb me. And when a surprise comes or a twist comes, I love to really enjoy it. As, my, as opposed to my daughter, who loves to try to predict the twists and the turns. And, and she's all about, ah, got it, I see, I was right. And, and that's terrific. There's no wrong way to read a book. I just really enjoy, for myself, allowing that surprise to wash over me. And so I hope that if, if your listeners are those types of readers that, yeah, like you, they could just enjoy the surprise, um, yeah, about, about where the story was going and how Evangeline learns more about herself.
0: So your daughter is one of those that can watch a TV show and like in the middle of it, be like, got it. That's the killer. I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for ruining it.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. She does that all the time. But... (laughs) We, we've come to realize it's not ruining it. it because it's so much fun to watch her watch the TV show and to watch her put it together. And, you know, we'll pause the show and like, okay, why do you think so? And then, you know, to see whether she's right or not. Um, and then, you know, she'll ask, well, didn't you think that? I'm like, again, no, just, just letting the story wash over me. Don't, don't want to put that much kind of brain power on. So uh, yeah, again, just trying to shift the, our mindset and perspective that it could be like, it's real, like, really, really? I didn't see that one coming. Did you have to guess that? Now I'm thinking it's that person. Or we just say, you know what? It's just fun to see how you approach the TV show or movie or even the book.
0: Like I, when, when reading the book, I'm just like, okay, with what, oh, I cannot remember what the Jin's name is right now. Her
1: Oh,
0: the, the one who comes in to where the, Balan. Balan. Okay. When, when he was calling her by that one certain name, I'm just like, maybe, but not a hundred percent sure yet. And then it was at the end. I'm just like, huh? Okay. (laughs) Like I like you kind of somewhat knew it was there, but you didn't really believe it. And then you're just like, Oh, 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 that makes so much sense of things.
1: I think that there's a balance as, as a writer. If if we're going to put in any kinds of either twists or something unexpected, we st- we still need it to be believable. And one of the things that I, I do with my clients, I make sure that those breadcrumbs are in the story because without them, when a reader gets to that point... It, the biggest concern is that the reader's going to roll their eyes. Like, really? Wow! How convenient was that? That that's what happened. You just wanted to go there, and and you did. So it's meant to be subtle. Um, to 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 have those breadcrumbs in there to see what that foreshadowing could look like. And it's, it's a challenge as a writer, um, but it's also a lot of fun to do that because it's a balance. You don't, it to, you don't want to hit your reader over the head with it at the beginning. That is so obvious. And here you are as a writer thinking like, oh, hey, surprise, here's the twist. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I saw that coming from a mile away. So how, how is that balance? And the, the way that I came at it, like I said, you know, my my daughter's a different type of reader than I am. And I finally had to recognize that when I'm working on this, on this manuscript, I recognize, wait a second there may be people like my daughter or who do read things more closely or who can pick up on things and who may get to the end who may say yeah I saw that coming a mile away and then there are others who are like oh wow that's so cool and everyone in between Mm -hmm. and that's when I realized that I can't write for everyone yeah I'm going to write the story that I want to write and uh Put it out there. I have this this concept of the ideal reader in my head. It's 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 uh, just a, a mirage, an image, you know. Like we're talking about angels and devils. It's like the angel on your shoulder, uh, you know, somebody looking over your shoulder as you're writing. Like, hey, this is the story for me. Mm-hmm. So I concentrate on that on that illusion, that image of this one reader, and then I put it out there, and I hope others will like the story. Obviously. <laughs> um, but i recognize you know i may not be able to meet everyone's expectations about writing in a story so you know if if i don't hey thanks for at least trying it and if i do wow all the all, all that better that much better you know so just do what i can yeah. And I
0: kind of feel like when you write, you have like the best of both worlds. You have the way that you read and perceive things. And then you have your uh, your daughter's how she reads and perceives. And you're just like, okay, I can kind of it's almost like you can kind of play around with do I want to show my hand too much now or just hold back so then they have to guess a little bit harder to under to get to what the ending's gonna be.
1: And I think that that's um part of a practice, skill, experience. So as much as this is my first published novel, like I said, it's not the first one I've written. And I think that um, that that's where that experience comes in, that I have crashed and burned on some others. And I have come a little bit closer on some of the novels that I worked on before. So I, I think that that's the craft of writing. There's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of intuition, there's a lot of joy. there's a lot of all those other emotions. But it's also a technical craft. and where you put those pieces and what elements you focus on and when mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a skill, just like any other skill that needs to be learned and needs to be practiced. And so i'm I'm really glad that you you think that i've I've done a good job on on yeah. that particular yeah. skill
0: as I was finishing reading it, I'm just like, I went back a couple pages and I went forward again I'm just like did I miss something? No. Well, <laughs> I just remember finished reading and I put it down I'm just like I with with the actual ending with um Evangeline and and Lucifer, that one was a total out of left field, had no idea that was coming around. And I'm just like, and and my first thought was, you know, Evangeline had to have so much strength, not 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 physical but like mental and emotional strength to be able to to do that what she did and i'm just like i at that point you have to applaud the character and also the author for that
1: Thank you. Um, But you know, it's interesting, because for for that particular idea, the, you know, there obviously no no spoiler that there's going to be some sort of confrontation between Lucifer and Evangeline It's just you would expect that in this kind of story. Um, And I think the reason why I was able to write it the way I was was because the concept of those scenes harked back to my early days when Evangeline was this old woman without any relationship to Lucifer. I had this what could happen way back in that concept period. So so when I changed up the character, when I decided, no, she's going to be young and she's going to be his daughter, um, I, I just simply brought over those ideas of what could happen between that. I think if I had if I had thought of Evangeline as the daughter the whole time, I don't know if I would have had the courage to take her there in the same kind of way. I think it's because she had been distanced in this in my head as someone who could do whatever she does based on her um, based on this confrontation. It made it easier. Um, to marry this idea of what I had from eons ago with the character that I created at that time.
0: How, cause, and, and I, cause you said there's possibly a sequel coming out. I am so excited to read that. Cause I kinda do wanna know how, how you're going to take that story. Is it going to still center on Evangeline or are we going to go to where more, where Lucifer is and, or are we getting uh, uh, new characters be brought in and a whole new kind of storyline and setup? So I'm excited for that. So I I cannot wait for you to finish that and have that out. Um, I'm reading my notes, seeing if there's anything I haven't asked you yet. No problem. Oh God. I I think I asked all the questions I had written down. Um, All right.
1: Well, I do appreciate that you're interested in this sequel. That that warms my heart. Uh, Just not giving anything away here, but it will focus on Evangeline. I have a trilogy in mind where the the point of view will be Evangeline the whole time. Um, But after that, I would love to expand this world. I would love to, I have ideas for prequels. I have ideas of how I might be able to write Evangeline's mother's story um writing about what happens after that so yeah i have so many ideas about where i could i could take this world but for sure the the trilogy that i have in mind for evangeline's story is what's going to be my focus over the next little while
0: and as we said before evangeline's heaven comes out august 30th um, and bookstores is it going to be world? yeah, world yeah,
1: every,
0: yeah world everywhere
1: world. you know yeah absolutely um Because I know that you like I'm here in Canada.
0: Yeah. And then I'm in the States.
1: I'm in Canada. So, you know, yeah. So books like, you know, Chapters Indigo here in Canada or um independent bookstores are also if they if they choose to carry it, you can certainly ask. They're, you know, available at at bookstores everywhere.
0: All right. Well, it was great so much. It was so great meeting you and talking to you. And then you agreeing to come on as well.
1: Oh, I'd love to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to chat. I love talking with uh, with other people about my story and I really appreciate your, your interest and enthusiasm and, uh, and having me on. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. I know that I called this meeting a little early. No, nope, so. not a problem at all. I enjoyed it. All right. I hope you have a good rest of your day and remember to check out Evangeline's Heaven when it comes out on the 30th. Uh, anything you would like to say before we leave?
1: No, just that if anyone wants any more information or would just love to get in touch with me and chat, you're welcome. Um, check out my website, jenbraxmawriter.com. Um, my email is there. My, my social media handles are on that website too. So I would love chatting and connecting with readers. So yeah, feel free to reach out. All
0: right. And so with that, thank you, Jen, for some, for being on. Um, And then I will be back next week with our regular episodes. So with that, I will say goodbye to you listeners.